Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, March the 9th, 2022. It is currently 3.52 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I have to admit this right from the start. I I don't want to be doing this live broadcast. I want to be live broadcasting, but I don't want to be doing this live broadcast right now because the subject I have to deal with is controversial. It is horrible. It is disturbing. It is depressing. It is discouraging. It is, I mean, I, I, I can't even come up with enough words to describe all of the negative feelings that I have right here. As I'm sitting here in this empty sanctuary in the middle of nowhere, I, I, I don't want to say what needs to be said in the following probably hour. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to even discuss it, but there are times you have to turn on the microphone and deal with subjects that are unpleasant. Sometimes you have to turn on the microphone and deal with subjects that you know are going, that's going to offend some people. It's going to cause, cause some people to, to no longer subscribe and listen to you. But, you know, if you have a microphone, you have a platform, you have to use it. You have to talk about those things that need to be discussed. And especially if the story is, well, I think we could call it a big story, a controversial story, a story that raises lots of questions. We're going to have to talk about it, but let, let me let me make sure I get this point across before we do anything else. I, I've tried my best to explain this in countless episodes, but there's always new listeners. So let me let me use this as my opening illustration. Last year, a very popular podcast was the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill which told the story of Mark Driscoll, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and people were downloading it in large numbers. Everyone was talking about it. There was lots of buzz. There was lots of discussion. And I kept saying about the podcast was, I kept telling everyone, go definitely listen to it. But I kept telling people how emotional I would get listening to it, how upset it made me. And, and another thing that would upset me is a lot of the way people were handling the podcast. A lot of people looked at it as, oh, here's an opportunity to hear all of the dirt that we can discover about Mar, about Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill. We can, we can hear all of the dirt and we can talk about it and we can share it. It was almost like, you know, a spectator sport watching so that we can bash everything that church did wrong and that they had it all wrong and they didn't know what they were doing and almost like, Hey, we can bash them and make, make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And that was not my reaction. Every time I listened, I felt this overwhelming just depression and discouragement with Christian ministry, with churches, with evangelicalism and the whole celebrity culture, and with my own ministry and my own failures and my, and my own shortcomings. And it, and it, and it, it, it made me just rethink about everything I've ever done and, and any form of ministry. Did I do that right? Did I do that wrong? Who did I hurt? Who did I help? And it, it really was a, a very convicting experience for me. I was overwhelmed at times with emotion, literally tears running down my face. I was greatly bothered by what I heard, not just because I may have disagreed, but but because I wanted to take what I heard about what happened at Mars Hill and what happened with Mark Driscoll and look at myself. And I say that as my kind of my opening discussion, my opening illustration is because the story we're going to be talking about today in this hour well, there's a, it's going to, once again, it's going to mention a prominent, well-known pastor who's almost, he, he's almost reached legendary status in the minds of many evangelicals. He, there's almost a, a, he has a following around him that will defend him at all costs. He is popular. He is powerful. People pay hundreds of dollars to go to his conference every year, not only to hear him preach, but to hear others preach. In fact, that conference is going on right now as I speak. 
This is a very well-known preacher, a very well-known person. Now, whenever you bring up a very well-known pastor, immediately as soon as you start talking, you're going, what happens is those who support the pastor will immediately just, if you say something negative, will attack you. They don't want to hear it. It can't be true. No, 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 no. And then those who don't like the pastor will just like, yeah, yeah, attack, destroy him. And in both cases, no one gets anything out. In other words, everything you're doing is vain and meaningless because this is not an opportunity for you to bash this pastor. This is not an opportunity for you just to blindly defend the pastor. It's an opportunity for all of us, including me, to stop, take a deep breath, and ask ourselves what in the world is going on inside the church? What is happening within evangelical Christianity? What is going on in your life? What is going on in my life? What is going on in your ministry, in your church, in your small group, in your Sunday school class? What what is going on in, in this church that I'm currently sitting in? It's an opportunity for us to really think about ourselves. But because it's a very popular pastor, immediately it will be like, yeah, yeah, I disagree with him. Oh, bash him. Say some really mean things. Or it's going to be like, how dare you mention his name? Touch not the Lord's anointed. How dare you? And and it's like, well, okay, well, that was a waste of an hour. That That was an absolute waste of time. How about we try to set aside the personality? We look at everything that's being said in regards to this situation that we're going to be talking about. And we just think about Christianity, the church, and how ugly it can be at times. How, look, the reality is, I know, I know so many Christians don't, I know some Christians have a theology that almost refuses to accept this, but you look at the history of the church, the history of the church is filled with sin, failure, broken homes, broken marriages, adultery, fornication, divorce. I mean, you you just name it. It's it's present within the church. And I know that we like to have this idea, oh no, when you become a Christian, that's it. You're basically going to stop sinning. But the reality is we still have a sinful nature and that sin manifests itself in the church all the time. Now, I know some will say, no, 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 those people who manifest that, they're just not saved. Well, you sit there in judgment, But I guarantee you, there's plenty of sin in your life. Maybe it's not the same sin, but there's plenty of sin in your life as well. But the church is filled with failure. It's filled with disappointment. It's it's filled with, with people who let each other down and attack one another. The church is filled with that because it is made up of sinners. That's just a reality. And this story, well, it's... It's going to show you what sinners can do with power and position and scripture. I want you to think about that. Since the church is made up of sinners, we should then always be on the lookout and expect that there will be countless examples where the church uses power, position, and scripture to attack, hurt, and destroy people. Because we are sinners, the church can use even ministry, use the power, use the position, use ministry, use the Bible itself as a weapon to hurt and destroy people, to attack people. There are many people who their time in the church, they were not built up, edified, and ministered to, but they found themselves being ripped apart, destroyed, and brought low because of the church using power, position, ministry, and scripture to attack and destroy people. That's just the reality. There's there's no way to ignore that. It's just the reality because we're sinners. I want you to think of this concept. I know, I know you, I know what you're thinking. Who's the pastor? What happened? Some of you just want me to get to the dirt. Just, you want me to just get, get to the dirt because some of you see the title. There are some right now listening live. You don't see the title because there's no title on that platform. But some of you are like, just tell me, what did they do? Some of you already know the story and you're like, Oh, I can't wait what he has to say. I'm trying to have you have the right frame of mind before we move forward. We need to have a very spiritual, way of thinking as we look at this controversial story. I've got the story right here. 
I'm not even going to mention the pastor's name right now. I want us to think about two concepts. Church discipline and submission. Church discipline and submission. Now, as I've already established, the church is made up of sinners, right? We're all sinners, including me, the one sitting here behind this microphone. I am a sinner. I have failed in thought, word, and deed. I have failed in what I have done, and I have failed in what I have left undone. This is not, I don't want to use this as an opportunity simply to attack someone else. I want to use this as an opportunity for us to all look at ourselves. But because I'm a sinner and everyone else in the church is a sinner, there are two areas where sometimes our sinful nature takes these biblical concepts and we use them almost as a weapon to hurt and destroy other people. I've already tried to establish this concept. The church uses power, position, ministry, and scripture to attack and destroy people at times. Well, there are two things I want you to consider. How the church uses church discipline and how the church uses the concept of submission. It can be used. Now, these are biblical concepts. I want to make it very clear. Church discipline is a biblical concept. Submission is a biblical concept. But sinful people in the church can take very biblical things and then use them to hurt and destroy You see this in the New Testament with the Sadducees and the Pharisees using scriptural concepts and ideas at times. Sometimes they added to the word of God, but they used it to place people in bondage and to hurt people and attack people. They even tried to use scriptural reasoning for having Jesus killed. This has been going on. Look, anytime sinful people pick up anything where we're going to find a way to misuse it and use it for sinful reasons in sinful ways. So consider church discipline. Now, church discipline is a very biblical concept. Let's just look briefly at a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to have time to do a full teaching on these concepts, but I want you to at least be familiar with them. Obviously, we have Matthew chapter 18. This is one of the go-to passages that are typically used to describe some kind of church discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, all right? Moreover, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If thou shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So according to this, that if someone, now typically there's a lot of ways of looking at this. Some could say, well, this seems to be like if someone sins against you, sins against you directly, then you confront them. Like some will try to kind of necessarily remove it from more of a a church discipline framework and try to put it more about individuals having problems with one another and one has sinned against another. I will say this. I think that whenever you, the concept of church discipline is, it is present in the New Testament. And this at least lays down principles that I think are very applicable. It's like this. If someone has committed a sin, The principle is this, you go to that person in private. You don't tell other people, you don't broadcast it, you don't, no, you go to that person. If that person says, you are right, I have sinned, I've messed up, they acknowledge it, then the problem, it's over, it's solved, it's done. If they will not repent, if they will not hear thee, verse 19, this is Matthew 18, or Matthew 18, verse 16. But if they will not hear thee, take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If you feel like that they did not repent, then you take witnesses. Then you take witnesses. And not that doesn't mean you go tell everyone else. You're not putting them on blast on social media. You go to them in private. If that doesn't work, you bring two or three witnesses in private. And if he will neglect to hear them, you tell it unto the church. Then you bring it to the church, not to everyone and, you know, internet world, but to the church. You contact that church, that church deals with it. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, the question is, when someone violates every one of these rules to go after someone, That doesn't negate what the person has done as it doesn't negate what the person did as being wrong. They still got to be dealt with, but it really makes everything messy because people are not following the basic rules that are are laid out in scripture. And I've seen Christians do this all the time. Oh, oh, they'll hear about what someone has did and they'll talk about it and 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 try to completely destroy the person instead of handling it in a biblical way. So, You're supposed to take it to the church. If the person will not hear the church, 
Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So in other words, if he is not, does not listen to the church, then the idea is you treat them now as a heathen and a publican. You treat them as they are no, that they are, they are lost. You treat them as not being saved. Now, what does that look like? Some churches will say, that means you have to break fellowship. You can't have any relationship with them. You have to, you just, you can't have anything to do with them. And I would be like, well, wait a minute. Is that exactly what that is saying? Or is like, now my relationship is I'm not treating them as a brother and sister. I'm treating them as an unregenerate person. And how do I treat an unregenerate person? Well, I hope to love, it doesn't mean I can't have a relationship with an unregenerate person. I just love them, try to show them the grace and mercy of God and try to do everything to look for an opportunity to call them to repentance and faith. But some people think that means you put them out of the church and you never talk to them again. So this concept can be greatly abused can be greatly abused. I, I can give examples, but I won't. I won't right now because we've got to get to the story, uh, to the news story here. 1 Corinthians 5 is the next famous passage. This one should scare everyone absolutely to death. This one should cause every, every church to go, whoa, let's slow down on this church discipline thing and really, really think about what we are about to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as not so much is named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Hey, there's something, there's some sexual sin going on in your church and it is so bad that even the Gentiles don't talk about doing this kind of thing. You have basically someone in your church who's sleeping with his father's wife. This is messed up. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from you. For for verily as absent in the body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. The church wasn't doing anything about it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan, uh, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now that's a frightening, 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 frightening thought. Turn the person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That possibly means not only physical suffering, but maybe even death. That's the, that means you don't go run into church discipline with some kind of glee, some kind of excitement. You want to avoid it at all costs. It's the last thing you would want to do to someone. You're turning them over to Satan for the destruction of flesh. That is frightening and that is scary. That is a lot of power of the church saying, hey, we're, we now are going to put you out of the church. We now are going to treat you as an unbeliever and we're turning you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is an absolutely frightening thing with major psychological implications to the individual who's church disciplined. I mean, you're saying, hey, we're turning you over to Satan for him to possibly you know, physically harm you or kill you. That is a frightening, frightening, frightening concept. So the church has to enter into it very, very carefully. You don't rush into this. That's a biblical concept, all right? So there's church discipline. The other concept is submission. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, the church has definitely been guilty of misusing excommunication and church discipline to hurt people and have used it in an incorrect way countless times throughout church history. Countless times has it been misused and abused? And sometimes they may not go so far to call it church discipline, but the church will use its supposed power to discipline someone in crazy ways. And and crazy ways. I mean, I I can tell all kinds of personal stories here, but I won't get into everything that happened to me at my at my first church in Nebraska, which was just a crazy situation. Um, and and basically, even though I was not church disciplined, um, and I left the church, they had a meeting. And well, they're, they're not the, put it this way. I, I got, I received a recording of what happened in said meeting uh, because someone recorded it. Uh, they brought in a tape recorder and recorded it. I know that's dating it uh, a little bit, but that's okay. And then finally I, I heard the tape. Not, no, truth was not, no, not spoken during that meeting. I was not even aware of the meeting. It was not allowed to be present to even, you know, present my side. But even though I was not church disciplined, basically everyone in the church was told to br- break fellowship with me and my family. 
they used their position and their power to attack me not, and did not even come close to handling it in a biblical way. So I've, I've encountered this. I could go through the whole story. It's just absolutely crazy. So church discipline can be handled in a very ungodly way. Submission. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Oh, that loves to be emphasized. And the church can use that idea of submission and sometimes may use it in a way that's actually detrimental and hurtful when you tell, no, you submit to your husband. You submit to your husband. Okay. Sometimes the men of the church will use that almost in a way to belittle and maybe even use it to justify an abusive relationship with their spouse. It could be misused in many ways. And what's often forgotten is the verse right before verse 22, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Yes, there's a submission between wife and husband, but there's a mutual submission that involves all of us. That sometimes it's forgotten. And so sometimes just as church discipline can be misused, this concept of submission can be misused. Oh, we have another one. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. There is the concept that church members are to be submissive to the spiritual leadership of the church. But that can be taken and misused so that the church members are almost manipulated and abused as a result of it. All of these concepts are very scriptural. They're very biblical, but they can be misused. Church discipline can be misused. And this, you will submit, you will submit, you will submit, can, well, just literally spiral out of control. And what arises from these biblical concepts is something horrible, 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 and sinful. We can all acknowledge, I think we can all acknowledge that. We should be able to acknowledge that. Now, why am I mentioning all of this? Why did I take 22 minutes instead of just getting to the story? Because I want us to get this in the right frame of mind. This is not just about the pastor I'm getting ready to mention. This is about all of us. This is about your church, my church. It's about how we can take biblical concepts and misuse them and hurt other people with them. Following story was published March the 8th, 2022 at 6.25 p.m. Headline, exclusive, John MacArthur shamed excommunicated mother for refusing to take back child abuser. Headline, exclusive. John MacArthur shamed, excommunicated mother for refusing to take back a child abuser. So clearly her husband's a child abuser. Clearly she leaves her husband or tries to divorce her husband and she's the one who gets excommunicated. She's the one who gets shamed. That's going to raise lots of questions about excommunication, about the power of the church, about what they're doing. And did they handle excommunication in a biblical way? This raises many questions. Now, again, those who are pro-MacArthur are going to be like, he did nothing wrong. This is a bunch of liberals trying to attack a godly man. Those who hate John MacArthur are like, he's never done anything right. He's a heretic. He's a heathen. Destroy him. And I'm telling you, both mindsets are of no value in this. That's just vanity of vanities. What we need to do is like, what happened? And what can we learn about the entire church? All of us in regards to this. Here's the story. On August the 18th, 2002, prominent radio pastor and author John MacArthur took time during the evening service to address a grave matter at his 8,000-member Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. A woman at Grace Community Church was living in sin 
MacArthur alleged. And though shaming her publicly was sad, MacArthur said it was necessary to maintain fidelity to God and his word. I'll stop right here. Let's go with the fact that let's say she is living in sin. When is it appropriate to then mention it or in a sense shame the woman from the pulpit? When, when is that right? When is it wrong? Well, if we go with the Matthew 18 idea, it would have to be after she's been confronted, then two or three witnesses, then it's brought to the church. She still refuses. Then you have to bring it up to the church. Now, it, to me, clearly it would have to be a, a situation where it's, you know, there, there can't be any visitors present. It would have to be like only members present to me that would only make sense. But okay, so let's say that, that he, that everything here sounds right. Is it, it everything here is being handled correctly. Let's say she's been confronted. She's been confronted a second time. She was told that was brought to the church. She's still not repent. They had a closed meeting for just the members of the church. Then he brought it up. Okay. Well, then you could say, well, maybe, maybe this is being handled correctly. What did she do? How was she living in sin? What was going on? Well, let's see what we can find out here. So as men were distributing the elements for communion, MacArthur stated, now stop right here, that is disturbing to me. You're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper and as they're distributing the elements for communion, you're going to stand behind the pulpit and now publicly shame someone? That I don't think that should be done in conjunction with the Lord's Supper in any way, shape, or form. No way. No way. In fact, I wouldn't even be doing the Lord's Supper on that day because the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for everyone to examine themselves and to make sure that they're going to approach the Lord's Supper in a correct way. If you've got something big going on in your church and you're getting ready to drop some possibly controversial news, that's not putting anyone in the right frame of mind to partake of the Lord's Supper where they're supposed to be properly discerning the Lord's body and his death. They're supposed to be remembering that. You're getting ready to drop some scandalous news on everyone. That's going to completely distract them from the, and having reverence for the Lord's Supper. So right there, I'm already like, okay, that doesn't make any sense to me. That, that doesn't make any, I wouldn't even be having the Lord's Supper. I would have my normal service and then say at the conclusion of the service, members, we need you to stick around because we have to have a very, we have to address a very important ma- uh, matter. All visitors, please leave at this time. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you found the service to be beneficial and we uh, invite you back next week. After everyone's gone, the members are present, then you address it. So already that just seems completely crazy to me, but okay, all right. So they're passing out the elements for communion. MacArthur states, and I quote, I want to mention a sad situation. A person who is unwilling to repent and the church bears responsibility before God to to be the instrument of discipline. This is what the Lord wants. He wants discipline to be put out of the church, to be publicly shamed, to be put away from fellowship. In this case, it applies to Eileen Gray, Eileen Gray, E-I-L-E-E-N Gray, Eileen Gray. He mentions her name and he says he wants to publicly shame her and putting her out of the fellowship. They're literally excommunicating someone right before they partake of the Lord's Supper. That is insane to me. That that right there, I'm already, I don't even understand that, okay? That I don't even understand, but what did this woman do? I mean, hey, it's going to be pretty serious that if you're willing to take a few moments before the Lord's Supper to publicly shame her and excommunicate her, that's, it's going to be like, we've got to do this right now. According to MacArthur, Eileen Gray's sin was that she had decided to leave her husband to grant no grace at all, to take the children, to go away, to forsake him. This, MacArthur emphasized, meant rejecting all the instruction and counsel of the elders, all instruction from the word of God. Now, this seems to indicate that, okay, she was going to leave her husband. She was going, going to get a divorce. Now, the church was going to step in. Supposedly, it sounds, according to MacArthur, that they've instructed her. They'd counseled her. She clearly seemed to have rejected it. Now, she's being excommunicated. So, if, you, if you're going to get a divorce... 
you're going to be excommunicated, right? Now, some churches practice that. Some churches, that that's, we could get into the whole, how do you, ha- that, like, that's a whole different podcast on the whole divorce situation within the American church, right? I mean, we could talk about it all day. The Bible, some people believe the Bible allows for, for divorce. Some people say it doesn't. But there's plenty of people in every congregation who even if you believe that the, the Bible allows for divorce, there's plenty of people who their divorce and then they got remarried does not meet the biblical requirement. In other words, if you if you say the Bible allows for it, in other words, the, that it doesn't meet the biblical allowance for it if you believe the Bible actually allows for it. So that means you have people in your church who got divorced, who got remarried, meaning they're living in a an adulterous relationship. And the church, in most cases, don't do anything. I don't know what you're supposed to do because then you either have to treat, like, you, you, uh, how, how do you treat those people? They're, 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 in a sense, they're committing adultery. Now, if someone else commits adultery, they'll be excommunicated, but that divorced, remarried couple, <laughs> they're living in adultery, but no one does anything about it. Now, if you go to Catholicism, they would say they have to, they have to remain celibate in their marriage. Protestants just laugh at that. It raises all kinds of questions, but okay. She's getting a divorce. Whatever your view is on divorce, she's getting a divorce. She's going to be excommunicated. All right. Now, what, what, what's going on here? Let's see if we can find out. MacArthur then encouraged the church to pray for Eileen and to treat her as an unbeliever. For we all know, for all we know, she may be. Now, that, that is very consistent with MacArthur's lordship salvation view that basically if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, element O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, and maybe a couple of other letters that he, he believes is applicable, if you don't do all of these things, you may not be a believer. So you being a believer is not determined by your faith in Jesus Christ. It's determined by what you do or don't do, which we've talked about all of the possible theological problems that arises from that. Like, I don't know, being saved by the imputed righteousness of Christ and not by the practice of righteousness in my life. But that's a whole different subject. But he that does demonstrate maybe a little bit of being consistent with his theology. All right. But I still want to know what's going on here, right? Like, is it just a divorce? What's going on here? Well, let's continue. He also urged the church to pray for her husband, David Gray, who taught music and Bible to the children at Grace Community Church from 1994 to 2001. Pray for David for the sympathy and compassion and the loving kindness of God to be his portion. So, hey, for Eileen, shame, excommunicated, treat her as an unbeliever. For the husband, sympathy, compassion, and loving kindness. MacArthur then invited the church to sing Amazing Grace. Today, David Gray, the husband, the husband that MacArthur said, let's have compassion and loving kindness for, that man is now serving 21 years to life in a California prison for 2005 convictions for aggravated child molestation, corporal injury to a child, and child abuse. Now, at the time of Eileen's shaming, Eileen had not yet reported her husband's physical and mental abuse to police. She was not yet aware of the sexual abuse. Instead, she had reported the abuse to the elders and pastors at Grace Community Church. Now the situation is getting ugly. She went to the church and said, my husband's abusing. And she ends up excommunicated. And he ends up like, we need compassion and loving kindness. And then come to find out. He's found guilty of aggravated child molestation, corporal injury to a child, and child abuse? Now, let's just stop right here. This begins to indicate to me how horribly wrong the church can get it. Now, I I know why the church can get it wrong, because... I know the church can get it wrong, and this is so very important to understand because we don't have some direct communication from God where God is telling us what to do. That's why I reject that theology outright because 2,000 years of church history proves that the church clearly is not hearing from God because we get things wrong all the time. So what happened? She reports, hey, my husband's abusing, and she ends up excommunicated? He ends up the victim, and then come to find out, not only was he physically abusing, he was sexually abusing a child and was found guilty and is in currently in California prison. 
serving 21 to life. I mean, how, how insane can a story get? Now, right here, the warning for all of us is we, we got to be careful before we act and making sure we understand what we're doing. The church doesn't have some special supernatural insight. If you haven't figured that out, you haven't been within Christianity very long. I've seen churches just do insane, crazy things. Let's continue. Eileen also had not left her husband. And now she had not left her husband as of yet. In August 2002, Eileen was still living with her children in the Gray's home about 1.5 miles from the church. Eileen had, however, filed legal separation and restraining orders against David to his repeated abuse of her and her children, as well as his alleged stalking and threats to kill them and himself. At the time of the shaming, Eileen had obtained a court order requiring that David's visits with the children be monitored and restricting him from coming within 100 yards of Eileen. So at the time of her excommunication, she had not even got divorced. She had simply filed for for legal separation. So what in the world? How was she being excommunicated? She hadn't divorced. There no divorce had occurred. But the fact that she had filed for a restraining order, the fact that his visits had to be monitored, that didn't give the church some insight. Well, whoa, maybe, wait, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. maybe before we move along trying to turn someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and, and publicly shaming her, maybe we need to stop and maybe, I don't know, shut up and listen and figure out what's going on. And it may be time to get the authorities involved because clearly if you have the abuse of a child involved, you have to contact the authorities. This happened to me right here, not not where I'm currently in Ovalo, Texas, but in Abilene, Texas, sitting in my house. I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to sermons from all the local churches in the area, right? And Northside Baptist Church. I'm like, I'm going to listen to a sermon from Northside Baptist Church. So the pastor's on there talking. I don't know. He's just ranting and raving about who knows what. I don't even know what the text of the sermon was. But he talks about how, hey, we've got kids. I guess he's trying to promote the the bus ministry, the bus ministry, the bus ministry. And you, you know, basically support the bus ministry with your time and effort and money, all this kind of stuff. But then he talks about, we've got kids coming to this church who are being sexually and physically abused. Now, as soon as I heard that, I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You know that there's children in your church who are being sexually and physically abused? So I started emailing the church going, whoa, have you contacted the police? Wait, you've got a responsibility. If you know someone's being physically harmed, you've got a responsibility to intervene and stop it. And guess what I got? I got silence. I even called the church. They ignored me. So guess what I did? I contacted the Abilene Police Department and said, hey, this church has knowledge of children being physically and sexually abused. They're talking about it in their sermon, but they don't seem interested in doing anything about it. Well, guess after I contacted the Abilene Police Department, I don't know, about six hours later, guess what? The sermon was deleted from the internet. Yeah, of course, because either the pastor was just making up stories or like, or they had literally failed to report it to the police. If you know someone is being physically abused and harmed, you have to do something about it. So th- this, this story is, is I, I don't even, like I'm trying to wrap my mind around what I am reading here. So uh, let's make it, make it very clear. At the time of her public shaming, at the time of her excommunication, she had not gotten a divorce. So even if you believe divorce is grounds, for church discipline, even if you believe that, even if you're going to carry, and again, you can't, and I'll make it very clear, if you've got people in his, if MacArthur has people in his church who have been divorced and remarried, you can't turn around and then excommunicate someone who's getting a divorce if you're allowing people who have been divorced and remarried sitting in your church. <laughs> you can't, you gotta, because then that, I mean, so what you're telling that person here, here's what you do. Leave the church, go get divorced, go get remarried, then come back and you can be welcomed in as a normal member of the church. That, that's just inconsistent. So what in the world's going, why is the woman like, why did they go after her? 
Now, I, I, I'm just reading what is being reported. We do know the fact that the man's in prison. That's a fact. That's a fact. So that tells you something was going on. As, as Eileen explained in an, in an exclusive interview with the Roy's report, she went to the Grace Community Church elders hoping they would protect her and her children and get David professional help. Instead, she says the church subjected her to spiritually abusive counseling and used church discipline to try to coerce her to take David back into the family's home. Now, if you don't believe any that this some of this occurred, I challenge you, go to uh, julieroys.com or just look for the Roy's report. And guess what? Oh, there's video of the public shaming. Now, I, I did not try to find a way to grab the audio from it because it's recorded on a phone and it's not very good. So, But you can listen to it for yourself. Everything that I quoted comes from the video. So there's no question she was publicly shamed. There is no question she was publicly shamed. There's no question the husband who was supposed to be treated with grace and kindness and love is in prison. Those are facts. Eileen said, uh, Carrie Hardy, a former Grace Community Church associate pastor and personal assistant to John MacArthur, told her she needed to model for her children how to suffer for Jesus by enduring David's abuse. What kind of utter nonsense is that? Hey, show your children how to suffer for Jesus and let them see their mom getting abused. No, you get the woman out. Look, even if you don't believe in divorce, you contact the authorities, you step in, you get the woman out. The church does everything they can to pay for her a place to live, support her in any way possible and say, nobody, you stay away from her. Get a restraining order, do whatever you've got to do. Protect her and then get them some help. If the wife wants help, get him out. If the husband refused, tell her, don't go back until he gets some help. And you may have to then bring in the authority. You've got to bring in the authorities if, if, if that kind of thing is happening. Now, the Roy's report repeatedly reached out to MacArthur and Hardy, who's now senior pastor of Twin City Bible Church, for comment, but they did not respond. This will make it very clear. They've been given a chance to respond to this, and they have not. And make it very clear, MacArthur's right now at the, at the Shepherds Conference. It started, I think, today. He has a platform. He can address it. I, I, if he doesn't know how, I can send him a $100 microphone, and we, we'll, we'll send him a $500 laptop. I mean, he's got three homes worth Millions of dollars. So I'm assuming he can afford a, a better laptop than I have, and he can probably afford a better uh, microphone than I'm using, and he can record a response. When Eileen refused to take David back, Grace Community Church sent her multiple letters over several months in 2001, 2002, which she recently provided to the Roy's report. The letters threaten her with church discipline if she fails to comply with the elder's request to drop the protective order against David and take him back. They sent her letters? No, you're supposed to go meet with the person. And what is your scripture? Hey, that protective order? Thou shall not file a protective order against your abusive husband. There's no scripture on that. How is she committing a sin? And you send letters? Hey, we just want to inform you, you're going to get church discipline unless you get rid of that restraining order. No! How, what? <sighs> and the letters have been provided to the Roy's report and you can read the letters for yourself in the article that I'm reading. So there's even more evidence to back this up. When the elders felt, when the letters failed to change Eileen's stance, John MacArthur publicly shamed Eileen twice. Once in May 2002 and again in August 2002. Wait a minute. So she did, did MacArthur go meet with her? Like how, how can, what kind of, I don't need, okay, I'm having a hard time here. I'm having a hard time. This, this, there's something not right here. There's something so disconnected here. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know if the husband 
was telling them garbage about her and they just went with his story, but they didn't even meet with her. They just sent her letters. How about you hear her side of the story? How about if, I mean, the minute the story gets muddied, right? I mean, look, let's just go with this. If, if they're like, wait, where's your wife? Okay. And then you find out, oh, my wife left me. Oh man, what's going on? Okay. All right. So, and then the husband gives you his story and you go, okay, well, I mean, your wife's a member of the church. I need to talk to her. You talk to her. And the minute she brings up, he's abusing me, he's abusing the children. Everything comes to a screeching halt. And at that point, you may be getting two completely different stories. You can't start church disciplining someone until you're able to figure out exactly what's going on. Okay, because you don't have some spiritual insight. If the husband's story is different than the wife's story, you can't move on in church discipline because you don't even know what's going on. You can't church discipline when you don't have the actual story or you have two very different stories going on until you can confirm it. That's why in Matthew 18, you have to bring two or three witnesses. You're going to have some kind of confirmation on what's going on. And why was she publicly shamed twice? How many times does a person have to be excommunicated? I mean, did you excommunicate her in May? Did she come back to the church? And then you excommunicated her again in August? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Eileen told the Roy's report, MacArthur never spoke with her during, before, during, or after the shamings. According to her, MacArthur never spoke to her. Then there is no biblical grounds for church discipline. This is absolutely wrong if that is true. And I say if that's true because I wasn't present and I don't know. I'm trying to verify what is verifiable. Her husband's in prison convicted of child molestation and abuse. She was sent letters because those letters have been provided to the Roy's report. She was publicly shamed because there's video of the publicly, public, public shaming. That part, we, it can all be conform, confirmed. In the months between the shamings, Grace Community Church members and staff repeatedly harassed and visited Eileen at home, urging her to obey the elders, according to Eileen and a dozen of pages of court documents obtained by Roy's report. Now, the members, now who are the staff? I don't know. The members, I will just, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to say this. They probably were misguided, probably thought they were trying to do the right thing, probably thought they were trying to be helpful. Church members sometimes trying to do the right thing end up doing really horrible things. So, but where was MacArthur? He's the pastor. He's the pastor for crying out loud. For all this time, Eileen has remained silent about her ordeal out of concern for her minor children. She added that she feared backlash from the Christian Christians in her community who revere MacArthur and Grace Community Church. But now her children are adults. And for the sake of vulnerable women and children um, at Grace Community Church and the many churches and institutions, institutions influenced by MacArthur, she's speaking now. All right. Um, Despite being mandated, now this is very important, despite being mandated by California law to report child abuse, Grace Community Church never reported David Gray's abuse to authorities, according to Nancy Nelson, a retired Los Angeles Police Department detective who investigated David Gray's case. Nelson told the uh, Roy's report that Eileen Gray reported David's Gray abuse to LAPD in 2003, leading to David's trial and conviction in 2005. In 2004, Nelson arrested two staff pastors at Grace Community Church for failing to report David Gray's abuse and for intimidating witnesses, Eileen Gray. So two staff pastors were arrested in this, All right? So, I mean, th- th- this is insane, uh, Hardy, one of those pastors, uh, the other, Bill Shannon, currently leads Grace Community Biblical Counseling Ministry. So they were arrested for failing to report the abuse, and now they are in charge of biblical counseling ministry. Court records shows uh, Hardy's case was dismissed or not persecuted, 
in February t- 2005. There are no court records for Shannon indicating that his, uh, his case did not progress that far. So both men were arrested, but it appears nothing came of it. So there, in that case, if nothing was came of it, at least legally speaking, we can't say that they were guilty of anything, legally speaking. All right. Now, this article goes on for a long period of time. There's a lot here. I do not have time to read all of this. The letters are here. I mean, it goes through the, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's an excerpt of MacArthur shaming her in 2002. I mean, there's the letter right here. Um, here's the, uh, from November the 17th, 2001. And, uh, yeah, you, you can just, you can read it all. I want you to go to the Roy's report. Okay, you can go to Julie Roy's. Let me just spell it out for you. Julie, J-U-L-I-E, Roy's, R-O-Y-S, dot com. Julie Roy's dot com. Please go to the site. Please read the entire thing for yourself. There are currently 78 comments on it. There's all, There's a lot going on on Twitter about it. There's a lot of discussing. Now, let me make it very clear. Some are accusing Julie Roy's of dropping this expose this report on purpose one day before the shepherds conference i can't speak to her motive i don't know but even if let's say she had the motive you know what everyone's going to be talking about macarthur tomorrow and when they're looking for macarthur looking up about things for macarthur boom they're going to find my report let's say she did it that way on purpose let's say she did that doesn't change the fact of the story the issue is, whatever her motivations may be or not be, you can't prove her motivations. What we can prove is that Eileen Gray was excommunicated and publicly shamed twice for not even divorcing her husband, but legally separating and getting a restraining order after reporting to the elders that she and her children were being abused. And they attacked her and excommunicated her, treated him as the victim, and then he ends up going to prison for doing exactly what she accused him of. Now, he's been legally guilty. So from the legal standpoint, he's guilty. Her accusations were correct. And the church got it completely wrong. The church got it wrong. They committed sin. They went after the wrong person. They did not practice justice. They, they, they did everything in cr- completely wrong. Now, what should be done now about it? Well, you, you, everyone has their thoughts. I know this. There should be some, uh, <laughs> there should be some acknowledgement and some apology. I mean, put it this way. The fact that the church has done nothing after he went to jail and it seems like they never contacted her, apologized to her. That, I mean, the church had to know when he went to jail that they got it wrong. They had to know. I, I, what? I don't even know what to say. I, I literally, I, I'm like, the, the, like, there's a, I'm like shaking just even reading the story. It makes me that upset. Yeah, I, as someone in the chat just said, some members should rethink their membership maybe. I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, there, I don't know what to say. I, I'm just going to try to be careful and not say anything that I shouldn't say. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to try to be careful and not say anything I shouldn't say. I, I, here's what I do know. In every church, every pastor is a sinner who makes mistakes. That's a fact. There's no excuse for those mistakes and pastors have to be held accountable for said mistakes. There has to be sometimes confrontation. There has to be rebuke. There has to sometimes be repentance and hopefully there can be restoration. The fact that Grace Community Church has done nothing is is disturbing beyond, like, it's disturbing. My my fear is that nothing's going to happen. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to do anything about it. I mean, I mean, there's been reports about, hey, did MacArthur actually, are those notes in his study Bible actually by him? There are those who are saying, no, he didn't write any of those notes, yet he claims that he, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, there's been lots of accusations in regards to MacArthur's ministry that nobody seems to care, care enough about, or even, 
there's been discussions about plagiarism. Did he actually write the books? He owns three homes. One of them, I mean, one's over a million. I don't even know how much all the homes to get combined are worth. There's lots of discussions about a lot of issues and nobody seems to care about any of it. All right. Um, the, I, there, I, I, I will say this. In this particular case, there's way too much evidence here, right? We've got the, uh, the actual videos and audio of the public shaming. That clearly occurred. We've got the letters sent to her. That clearly occurred. We know she made, uh, she claimed that her husband was abusing and that was proven and he went to jail. So, so at this point, any, but, and not only that, she was uh, excommunicated and publicly shamed before she got a divorce, I don't know. What more do you need? The church got it completely 1000% wrong. They got everything about it wrong. That's just, I don't think there's any way to get around that. I'm not saying that there's not more to the story. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Eileen Gray did everything perfectly or that she did everything right because I know she's a sinner and her husband's a sinner and MacArthur's a sinner and everybody involved is a sinner. But when there's a bunch of sinners involved, that means there's going to be sin, but there's got to be some acknowledgement of that sin and confessing what went wrong and then do something about it. But it's got to be more than just, well, oops, we got it wrong. Sorry, we horribly, you know, mistreated you and that we abused the abuse. We, we abused the victim of abuse and we protected the abuser. But this is why you can't look to the church. You can't look to pastors. Christianity has never been built upon looking to a church or looking to a pastor. It's about looking to a savior who saves sinners. It's not about us. But this is what happens when pastors reach celebrity status. They, they have a power that they're untouchable. They, they, there's, a, there's a cult of celebrity around MacArthur and you can't say anything negative about him. I mean, I've had problems in this church where I spoke negatively of Piper and I spoke negatively of MacArthur. And the next thing you know, I was getting a phone call to meet uh, on a Monday and someone was upset because I attacked them. And so my argument was, are you up more upset in the way I attacked them or are you more upset about the, 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 the truth that I presented to you about what they had done? And this is in regards to teaching and, and theology and some other issues. It just once you, I put it this way, once a pastor reaches a status where people, and I think, I, I mean, I, what was the price for the Shepherds Conference this year? Let me look here because it's going on right now. I don't, I don't think there's a, be a way for me to look. Hang on. Shepherds Conference 2022. Register. Let me see here. Registration is now closed. I don't know how much it cost. It's a couple of hundred dollars. It's a couple of hundred dollars. I don't know exactly um, how much it is, but it's a couple of hundred dollars. I think I think it used to be four hundred. I think it's five hundred dollars. I think so. When it, whenever you are a pastor and people will pay five hundred dollars, first of all, if you ever reach a status where people will pay five hundred dollars to come hear you preach inside your church, and you allow that to occur, to me, something's already. I mean, I you already know my feelings. The whole conference system is corrupt. It, when people, when the word of God becomes the product and you sell it by making people pay money to walk through the front door of your church to hear the word of God, people are paying money to get inside a church to hear the word of God preached. Whenever people have to pay money to enter a church to, to receive the word of God, Christianity has gone completely off the rails and it's, it's apostate and it's gone. Not that the theology is apostate, not that the doctrine is apostate, but that practice is apostate because it's fallen. It's no longer biblical Christianity. You've turned Christianity into a marketing scheme. Hey, we've got MacArthur. He's worth $500 to come here preach, right? Oh, and we're going to throw in some other big names. Come now, register soon. Registers got, registration is going to close. It's going to be a sellout. It's like, is this church or is this I'm promoting the next big music festival? And again, what's the product being sold? It, in some ways, it's the preaching of God's word. But no, people are paying that money to get near the celebrity, to hear the celebrity, to hear the celebrity. 
The preaching of God's word, no one should ever have to pay for. You shouldn't have to pay to get inside a church. I mean, just think about, like, try to just wrap your mind around that. Hey, here's people who are all, you drive by a church. Who are all these people? Are they waiting to get in for what? Oh, we're having a conference. Oh, great. Can I come? Yeah, that'll be $500. What? You have to charge to get into church to hear preaching? Yep. Okay, you people are out of your minds. But no, as a Christian, I'm not supposed to say you people are out of your minds. I'm supposed to go, oh, well, this, this is the godly right thing to do because it's John MacArthur and his preaching. I mean, I mean, nobody can preach like John MacArthur. He's better than everyone. He's better than everyone. So everyone should be willing to pay $500 to hear that. Okay, someone just said $499. That's the walk-up price. You, you, yeah, okay. So the walk-up was 500 bucks. Um, I guess if you are pre-registration or early registration, you always get the discount. You always get the discount. That's just crazy. I mean, how do you even, can you imagine the apostle Paul? Hey, Peter, guys, look, we're apostles for crying out loud. I mean, we walked with Jesus. We literally, well, Paul wouldn't say that, but I, I mean, Jesus taught me, but the other, the other, the rest of you guys, you actually walked with Jesus. You saw him. Paul obviously had the encounter on the road to Damascus. Okay. So, so I'm getting ahead of myself, but hey, we're, we're apostles. Let's have the first apostles conference. Oh, we can charge a lot of money. I mean, come on. We have, we're, we're we are receiving inspired scripture. Let's do this. Let's keep the scriptures. We'll write the letters and we'll say, if you want to hear the letters, you got to pay three, whatever the money would be back then. You got to pay so much to get in and we'll read the letters that we receive from God for, for, you know, what we receive from God, we'll read them to you. I mean, that's just, no, that's not the way it worked. Freely, we have received, so freely we give. Like, I, I can't stand Christian podcasts who put their content behind paywalls. Hey, if you want to hear the rest of this episode, you join our Patreon page for $5 a month or $10 a month or $20 a month, and you can become a reformer and we'll send you this. And oh, you can even ask me questions. I've seen even some of the Christian podcasts where if you want to ask a question to the host, you have to join their Patreon page. And if you support them enough, you can contact them. That's the, how, and people buy into that. Sometimes I'm thinking I'm an idiot. I could be making money on all the work I do. So, so to me, something, but but here's the thing. I'm trying to, okay, I'm trying. I know I'm already over an hour. I want you to see the connection I'm trying to draw here. Okay, maybe maybe you're getting it. Maybe you're not getting it. Once you reach this level of celebrity where people are literally willing to give you $500 to get in, you reach a level of untouchability. You are untouchable. And all you got to do is surround yourself with people who are going to protect you. And then you're all in, uh, you're all on the money train. Everybody's going to make money. Everybody's going to be great. You're going to have power. You're going to have position. You're going to have celebrity and you're going to have money. So therefore crazy things like that happen where a woman is completely mistreated and nobody cares. And I will guess that nobody's going to care even after the report comes out. Nothing's going to happen. Julie Royce on Twitter, you can look up her Twitter account. Um, she was talking about how someone, I guess already at the Shepherd Conference was praising John MacArthur. And she's like, so after this report comes out, people are still going to praise John MacArthur. Of course, because he's got celebrity. Celebrity is untouchable unless you, now you can reach a point. It's always a tipping point. Mark Driscoll got away with all kinds of things, but finally it reached that tipping point. Boom. And he went from celebrity to public enemy number one. When, when, once you can get everyone to turn on the celebrity, they will turn on them fast. And that's a whole another negative side of the celebrity culture. So far, MacArthur has not reached that tipping point. There you have it. I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's disturbing. And you know what I would hate to hear right now? I would hate to sit down and talk to Eileen Gray face-to-face and ask her what she thinks about Christianity and what she thinks about the church. Now, I think there is some discussion about maybe her, clearly, maybe, I, 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 I don't want to say, because I don't remember all the words from the article. I think they do mention something about her referring to how Christ was with her through all of this, I think. So that may indicate still some faith. But it would just be painful for me to look at her and go, well, you know, that's Christianity for you. 
But that's the thing that sometimes Christianity does horrible things, but Christ is not responsible for those horrible things. Sinners who, well, we walk around in his name claiming to represent him. We do sinful things. I make it very clear. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner, not sitting here in any moral superiority here in any way, shape or form. But this is a messed up situation. And it should make all of us rethink church discipline and this concept of submission in the church and ensure that we handle those things properly because power, position, ministry, and even the word of God can be used in the most sinful, ungodly way. All right, thanks for listening. You can give me your feedback on this entire situation. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at at yahoo.com. Please go to the Roy's report, julieroys.com. That's R-O-Y-S, julieroys.com. Read it all for yourself. Please read it. Watch the video clips. And just remember, don't just look at it and go, MacArthur bad or MacArthur good. Just make it stop and go, man, how messed up can we be in the church sometimes? Make it see the reality of our own, our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own, how messed up we are even in the church. Allow it to humble all of us that we, we, we walk around like we're somehow morally superior over all those horrible lost people. Man, sometimes the church is an absolute train wreck when it comes morally speaking. We, we're so good at passing moral judgment on everyone. And sometimes we, we, we abuse everything so horribly wrong. Just have it look, look, look to ourselves and, and this, not just to whether you agree. Don't, it's not about picking, are you team MacArthur or team Eileen? It's not about breaking down into teams. It's about, man, the church is messed up. And we, we all have to acknowledge that. All right, I'll stop there. Everyone have a great day. God bless.